chapter 1 of Isaiah last time so we're going to start in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 21 is where where we are and uh, 21 through 23 introduce kind of a lament here I think by Isaiah uh, about the city Uh, it's not necessarily in ruins yet but um, morally it's in ruins (laughs) <laughs> and uh, physical ruins come later. Uh, verse 21 says how, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who was full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers. That first word, how, there is a Hebrew word. Uh, it's also used, it's the first word in the book of Lamentations. Uh, it's kind of a it's, a, it's an emotional word. It's kind of a strong emotional word. A lot of times it introduces lament and stuff like that. So, um, you know, that's what it is. I mean, Jeremiah is troubled uh, for his city. Um, so, let's see here. Uh, verse 22, your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water, your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bribe and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, or the widow's cause does not come to them. Um, well, I mean, it's just injustice. I mean, that's what he's lamenting. It's a, it's a, it's a civilizational collapse uh, because of corruption. Now, I think we're experiencing that some in the United States. Uh, but, you know, if you want to see bribery in action... Uh, go to some of these African countries, you know, and uh, uh, well, I'm, I'm saying it's in our country. It's in our country, but I'm saying there are other countries that are actually worse. Is you pay the border guards a lot of money, you know, to let get a visa and, and all of this, and on and on it goes. It's just money, 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 and you end up paying government workers to do their job. <laughs> that's that's corruption, you know. And so that, and it's all over the world. I'm not, I know that. It seems like there's some places that have done that so long and so much that their entire system revolves around uh, doing it. Oh, oh a, a, absolutely. And if you were to take bribery out of their system as with a snap of a finger, they would collapse. Uh, because, it, would, it would be a new world. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems too in this, in this passage that it's also a city without mercy. Yes. For the fatherless and the widow. Yes. Yes, indeed. Uh, and, I, and we mentioned that last time, but we'll do it again. Because uh, last time, in, ver- in verse 17, Isaiah says, Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause to visit orphans and widows in their distress. As we mentioned last time, James is not making this up. I mean, he's... You know, this is in Isaiah to visit fathers and widows and their distress. He repeats it in verse uh, 23. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. So, again, in many, many ways, I mean, 
New Testament teaching is a continuation of Old Testament teaching. I mean, I see this so much. Uh, you know, and from what I'm interested in a lot, basically in the book of Proverbs, I'm interested a lot. You know, you read through the Sermon on the Mount, and I can correlate almost everything Christ taught with with the book of Proverbs. I mean, he's he's just expand, expounding it, and it just goes on and on. So... It's, it's, it's a coherent book. It's all this book. <laughs> yeah. You know what? We'll, we, we, we really watch out for the transgender. You know, you know, we make sure that they're justified completely. But widows and orphans. <coughs> well, it just, it just shows you perversion, you know. Just perversion. Mm-hmm. All right. Verse 24. Uh, wait, wait a minute. Uh, in verse, uh, they do not bring justice to the fathers, fatherless and widows. We're talking about that. So, um, injustice in in society, which is everywhere, is a result of spiritual harlotry or spiritual prostitution. That is, <clears throat> believing in Christ results in walking with Christ and obeying Christ. Or, in terms of Israel, believing in Yahweh results in walking with Yahweh and obeying Yahweh. And this is what Isaiah is complaining about. This is what is not happening in Israel, in Judah here. You know, it's not happening. Okay, verses 24 through 26. Therefore the Lord declares, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, ah, I will get relief from my enemies and avenge myself on my foes. I will turn my hand against you and will smelt away your dross as with lye and remove all your alloy. And I will restore your judges as the, at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. So 24 through 26. In verse 24, we see the mul- multiplying names of God here. Uh, for instance, Adon, our Lord, Adonai, Yahweh, Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. And also, Abir Israel, which means the mighty one of Israel. So these Hebrew names of God, they're multiplying here. Uh, just indicating the, uh, the authority here, I think, by which Isaiah is speaking. Uh, all of this might, or all of this mighty God is directed against the enemies of God. In this case, Israel, or Judah as it were. So God is directing his might against his people, and now they've become his enemies. How so? Well, through disobedience and sin, that's how. That's how they're becoming enemies of God. And he will avenge himself upon them. Um, But as God turns his hand against Israel, he also removes the dross from Israel in order to restore right judges and right counselors in Israel. So to restore, what shall we say, a good society, as it were. Okay. Um, Well, yes, and no doubt, yeah. Uh, So uh, God prunes and cleanses in order to restore the faithful city uh, in other words, we might say, as the city goes from being Sodom to being 
uh, the glory of God as in the book of Revelation as God talks about Jerusalem for instance if someone could help me here with Revelation 11 8 and then Revelation 21 10 11 8 mm-hmm. and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the city that great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified so the city in which the Lord was crucified God calls uh, symbolically by the name of Sodom isn't that interesting as Dr. Hamada might say is the holy land holy <laughs> well God calls it Sodom uh, but there's a change in Revelation 21.10 if somebody has that and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and a high mountain and showed me the great city the holy Jerusalem descending out of the heaven from God yeah, so God makes a change here. I mean, I mean, he, he's talking, I think, in spiritual terms or maybe even, I don't know, maybe spiritual terms here, but, you know, the old Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the old Jerusalem, Sodom, the new Jerusalem coming down like a bride adorned for a husband. So this, you know, just depends on the action of God in order that he, he raises up some and he puts down others. And, this, so we pray he'll have mercy on us. This little passage seems to be related to Psalm 82, which the phrase, you are gods, yes. comes from. Okay. Um, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, defend the poor and the fatherless, do mm. justice to the afflicted and needed, mm. needy, deliver the poor and needy? So it's it's... You know, it's an accusation against judges and a call for them to be righteous. Okay. And it's all mixed up into this thing that it's at the he- it's at heavenly level. At the what kind of level? Heavenly. Okay. It's in, yes. in the heavenly. So it's also, I think it's also bringing in the excluded middle. The spiritual warfare. Uh, yeah. Okay. And ultimately God's adversaries are uh, Satan and his demons. Are defeated ultimately. Yeah. No, I think no, that's good. Well, that's where we are. So let's keep going here. Uh, so verse 26, I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. So God here is not interested in just smashing Judah. I mean, he's interested in some kind of restoration here. Uh, so that's good. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So again bad action God does a work and then restoration now it becomes the faithful city so this is again I you know as I said last time I don't think we can just say this is that I mean whatever Isaiah is here applying uh, saying here applies to Belgium or applies to the United States I mean he's talking about Judah here really but I mean we can see at least, I think, a tendency of the way that God acts in history. Okay. Does anybody have anything there so far? I'm just I'm babbling away here. All right, let's go to uh, verse two, verses 27 and 28. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. But rebels and sinners shall be broken together. <clears throat> And those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. 
Zion is a favorite term of Isaiah. He uses the word Zion 47 times. It is used 28 times in the Psalms and 15 times in Lamentations. This indicates that Zion has a poetic and prophetic nature also. It creates a picture of chosenness, hope, and beauty which belong to those who believe. So Zion is a good term. It's uh, the rest of those who believe and, and so forth. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and by righteousness. Uh, the, Let's see if I can read that again. Verse 28. Verse 27. Zion shall be redeemed by justice and those in her who repent by righteousness. So Zion is redeemed by justice and by righteousness. This is a both and situation. Zion shall be redeemed by the righteousness of Christ, no doubt. And then she will be made right by us doing right. In other words, it's a both-and situation. It's not just that Christ has redeemed us and then we just put things on automatic and be happy because we're Christians. No, I mean, we also try to follow Christ and do right. That's how, that's how Zion is redeemed. Zion is redeemed not only by preaching, but also by action, <laughs> if we could say it, say it that way. All right, talk to me here. Is everybody happy so far? Your actions are a reflection of your beliefs. Indeed. Isn't that the truth? You will always act out when you believe. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. Always believe. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. All right. It shows us up. Our actions show us up oftentimes. Who's that? James. <laughs> yeah, James. Might be on board with that. <laughs> All right, let's go to chapter 2, which is where we should be today. Uh, verses 1 through, let's say, 4 or 5. Uh, let's go through 5. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amoz, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. And shall be lifted up above the hills, and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between nations, and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. All right, well, this is, this is a famous passage here. Interestingly enough, this passage, almost word for word, is repeated in the book of Micah. Uh, Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, or possibly 1 through 5. It's, it's just a repeat. Uh, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, which is a famous verse in the Old Testament. So, I mean, what's going on here with the you know repetition, almost word for word, of this passage in Micah? Well, one suggestion I read was that uh, possibly this was kind of a byword in in Israel or a motto that people simply repeated. Uh, maybe it was a 
maybe it was simply a prophetic statement that had come down in Judah and, and people used it just as a common saying, you know. I mean, we have common sayings, you know, that we use and stuff. Maybe they used this one in a lot of places. Say again. You see this quote in a lot of places, like in military establishments. Okay. Well, okay. So, all right. So, it's a motto then, and just... It, in other words, it was in common circulation, I think. And that may be so. It makes sense to me that it could be. Um, this is obviously an eschatological passage. I, I think it would be, I, at least given my pessimistic nature, I'm not exactly expecting to see this before the coming of Christ. Uh, but who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. That would be great, wouldn't it? But I don't think so. <laughs> so it's an eschatological passage, which means the end of the age, whenever Christ comes back, yes, then there'll be an end to all these wars and rumors of wars and all this stuff. This is the New Jerusalem. Yeah, indeed. Absolutely. Yeah, I, it's got to be. Uh, so, uh, say again. Well, that, sin will be against the law. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot commit any sin. Yeah. All right. Um, let's see here. Well, where am I? Yes. Uh, again, we have an unjust and disobedient people, the people of Judah. Really, he's talking about Judah. Now leading now leading the world into peace. So the theme of a disobedient Israel, which the prophets are always hammering against Israel, a disobedient Israel becoming the Israel of God, as Paul mentions in Galatians. So it's going to happen. A disobedient Israel will become the Israel of God. And uh, in a certain way, it's already happened. I mean, because we are the Israel of God. Although I uh, must admit that maybe, I don't know, maybe we're not leading the world into peace and harmony as we should, but I'm not sure that's totally in our, our purview either. So anyway, this is the way Isaiah goes. I mean, he's attacking Judah, you know, but then there's a messianic hope. I mean, he attacks Judah, and then there's the end of the age, right? And I mean, it... So he, he goes back and forth this way uh, uh, a lot. Uh, Can I ask a question here? Yes. Because there are certain places where there is quotations and other places where there's not. Okay. I'm uh, just wondering if you thought about the difference. You know, who, who, when it's put in quotations, is that directly from the mouth of God? Or is it Isaiah speaking that? I, I see what you say. I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Where? There's Connor when we need Yeah. Well, I, I think that's just the choice of the uh, uh, verse three. Verse three. Because these ancient languages didn't have punctuation. No. Uh, okay. No, Hebrew didn't have any punctuation in it. So this quote is people. So it's just anybody's guess. I, I really don't know, uh, David, why. Uh, I've seen yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I see what you're talking about there. Come, let us go to the mountain. The Lord's in quote is begins a quote there. Yes. I've always thought of like some of the gifts of the Spirit, the word of knowledge. 
Uh, yeah, but, and to see that as being a gift from God, you're quoting it as him. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know. Okay, good question. Uh, <clears throat> uh, all right, so we finished verse 5. Now there's a sharp shift of emphasis here. Again, this is, this is just Isaiah. We have a wonderful passage about, uh, it seems to me, the rule of Christ on the earth when we beat swords and, and, you know, and plowshares and make pruning hooks and so forth. But now in verse 6, there's a change again. And, and a, the prophet is attacking Judah here. I mean, I don't know how else to say it. I mean, it, it's an attack, you know. So let's see what the prophet has in mind against Judah now. Verse 6. For you have rejected your people, the house of Jacob. He's talking about God. Because they are full of things from the east, of fortune tellers like the Philistines, and they strike hands with children of foreigners. So now the prophet's complaint, if I could use that word, against the people of God, is that they're getting all involved in occultism, in fortune telling, and so forth. If Again, we could look up a couple of scriptures here. Uh, uh, Greg, if you could help us in Leviticus 19.26 and Scott in Deuteronomy 18.9 through 14. Nine through fourteen. Uh, Greg, that's Leviticus nineteen twenty six. Okay. You want me to go first? Mm-hmm. Just twenty six. Mm-hmm. <coughs> ye shall not eat anything with the blood. Neither shall ye use enchantment nor observe times. So there's a prohibition here against using enchantments, whatever that is. But I mean not to do that, uh, Scott. When you enter the land which Yahweh your God gives you, you shall not learn to imitate the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire, one who uses divination, one who practices soothsaying, or one who interprets omens for a sorcerer, mm-hmm. or the one who is an enchanter, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who inquires of the dead. Hmm. For whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh. And because of these abominations, Yahweh your God will dispossess them from before you. You shall be blameless before Yahweh your God. For those nations which you shall dispossess, listen to those who practice soothsaying and to diviners. But for you, Yahweh your God has not allowed you to do so. What? That seems to be pretty clear to me I mean I, as one of the preachers said I'm a simple man with a simple message right I mean read the Bible and there, there it is so, this was for Israel I mean absolutely not to do this stuff telling the future going to gypsies to have your fortune told and we you know we take it just you know, this is just a game well maybe so but why not present a good example to other people? You know, <laughs> finding witches at the door. Yeah, I mean, let's just stay away from all that. Yeah. Go ahead, David. You were going to say but something. The, the movie, I mean, the book, The Exorcist. Yeah. Based on a true story. Yes. But it's a boy, not a girl. Okay. Who, who is a Ouija board kid. See. She's working a Ouija board. Yeah. The next thing you know, 
he's, uh, you know, the devil's lifting him up out of his bed and meditation. Yeah, you're involved in stuff you didn't think, yeah. 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 Well, this, I think we all know this, but I mean, here it is, here it is. And again, we get into the situation of, you know, how much of Old Testament teaching for Israel is for us and how much not for us. And I mean, you know, I agree animal sacrifice is not for us because that has all passed away with Christ. But So anyway, we could think about this that more. It would seem not. But it would at least seem that God has a suggestion for us at this point. <laughs> okay. All right. So this is the prophet's complaint. This is very, and this is not New Testament. Now this is very clear Old Testament teaching, and the prophet is saying, "Well, look, you're doing all this stuff now that God forbade. So what's what's going on here?" Um, verses seven and eight. Their land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. Their land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. Their land is filled with idols. They bow down to the work of their hands, to what their own fingers have made. Um, So this, again, is a Babylonian scenario, and he's just saying you're picking up all this stuff that that foreigners are doing, worshiping idols. Verse 9. So man is humbled, and each one is brought low. Do not forgive them. Wow. Enter into the rock and hide in the dust from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty. The haughty looks of man shall be brought low, and the lofty pride of man shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Again, uh, let's be humble and walk with the Lord. Uh, God hates pride, and and one day he's going to deal with it. Uh, no doubt, in terms of nations and also individually. I mean, one day he's going to deal with your pride. One day he'll deal with it, and with mine too. And it, it's not going to be a pleasant scenario. All right. It's not pleasant when God does with our pride now. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> oh, well, I was being prophetic here. <laughs> How do I define pride? Mm. Uh, thinking more of ourselves than we ought to think. Uh, <coughs> looking, looking at the work of my hands. I've done all this. I've done all this. Look at all this. And not giving God really credit for this. I mean, kind know. of like the original sin because that was Adam's problem, elitism. And uh, yeah, and even in Philemon, even Christ, he said like he didn't figure equality with God something to be maintained. Mm. So, I mean, and that's the problem with a lot of the occult stuff. It's like, you can find the secret information. You don't yes. need God. Right. And, uh, yeah, pride is simply, you know, putting anything else in God's position that's yeah. not God. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Exalting oneself. Exalting oneself. Not giving God credit, you know. That was Satan's problem. It could, it could be anything. I mean, let, it could be, it could be, you know, good health. Say, so, well, wow, isn't this great? I mean, I'm healthy, you know. Well, I mean, we're not, we're not giving God credit. All that kind, of, all that kind of stuff. Almost every Greek play written deals with hubris. Really? Yeah. The pride of someone watching. And it comes, and they and they fall. Proverbs, the 
pride, pride is the center of all contention. It's, yeah, it's, some people have argued it's really the original sin with Satan and so forth. Pride lifted him up. It's probably why God calls himself I am, because there's nothing else. <laughs> okay. All right, very good. Uh, let's go to uh, verse, where are we? Verse 12. Here we go. Verses 12 through 16. For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up, and it shall be brought low. That's it. Everything, as we lift ourselves up, then God has a way of bringing us down. Against all the cedars of Lebanon, lofty and lifted up, against all the oaks of Bashan, against all the lofty mountains, and against all the uplifted hills, against every high tower, against every fortified wall, against all the ships of Tarshish and against all the beautiful craft. This seems to me to be poetic here. I mean, I'm not sure that God's actually going to attack the mountains, but he's talking about pride here, spiritual pride, you know, the lofty mountains. So uh, this is figurative or symbolic of the pride of man. There are listed seven things that are impressive or mighty that will be brought low. I don't have anything on all of these, but he mentions the cedars of Lebanon. Now, I'm not sure that God just attacks trees, you know, but it's it's symbolic here. The cedars of Lebanon are mentioned various places in the Scripture, known for their wood, their smell, and their abundance in Lebanon. There are still cedars in Lebanon, but not, not as many as there were. You know, I asked so. a Lebanese woman that very yeah, question. What'd she say? Days ago, what'd she say? It was up in Ohio, and yeah. she's from there originally. She said, oh, yes, all around. All right. Okay. Well, <laughs> That's good. That's what she said. So. All right. Okay. <laughs> but probably not near as much. Not as not near as many, yeah. You know, most, most trees are around. <laughs> <laughs> most trees are all around. <laughs> <laughs> Cedars of Lebanon are mentioned various places in Scripture known for their wood, their smell, and abundance in Lebanon. They are long-lasting and resistant to decay. They give a wonderful scent and were the first choice for any temple or palace. Cedars could live for 600 years or more. So this, so uh, these are amazing trees. And so th- this is the idea, okay, we, we, you know, we're... We're proud of our cedars. Maybe they should be. So it's symbolic. Okay, God's going to attack these items of pride. Another is the oaks of Bashan, which I don't know much about. They grow in the area of the Golan Heights in Israel. Israel has five species of oaks in that country. Oak is still prized for strength and beauty as a building material. The ships of Tarshish, God comes against them. You remember where Tarshish is? Yes? Is no. It's that, that uh, coastal city that's kind of out on an island, isn't it? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, it could be, yes, where? What country? Uh, well, off of Lebanon. No. Right? Uh, you're talking about Tyre. I'm thinking about Tyre. Yeah, we're going we're to connect them here. Tarshish? Tarshish. Don't remember? Huh? Tarshish. Uh, Tarsus, no. It's Tarshish. 
Yes. Isn't Tarshish where Jonah was fleeing to? Yes. Isn't that the word like Spain? It is Spain. It is Spain. Tarshish is Spain. It is. In fact, in 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 Spain, they still have an area on their map. Sometimes they call Tarshish. So it is Spain. So what's all the ships of Tarshish? Well, uh, this is an area in Spain famous for its mining materials and also shipbuilding. As someone mentioned, uh, uh, someone mentioned the, uh, the city of Tyre. Yes. There's also an island sort of city, as maybe Cadiz or one of those. It's a little bit of an island or something, Algeciras or something like that. Uh, but at, yes, in that area of Spain, and they were also famous for shipbuilding. They learned shipbuilding from the Phoenicians. They were the original great engineers and shipbuilders. The Phoenicians founded Tyre, as somebody mentioned. So Tyre becomes a great Mediterranean power. Tyre then uh, founds these areas up in Tarshish in Spain. They also found the famous country of Carthage, which was more powerful than Rome for a while, and that led to all those wars. So that's all that Mediterranean stuff, all that war and stuff. And Tyre, from the Phoenicians, was an early colonizer. They founded these colonies up in Spain, down in North Africa with Carthage and so forth. Well, uh, God is going to come against all these wonderful ships of Tarshish. I'm not sure he means he's literally going to break every one of them up. He's, he's just putting these things out as examples of human pride here. Yes, the pride of... Yeah, the best you, you were the best shipbuilders in the world, and that was true. And there's, I think there's a difference too. You know, if, if you if you if you acknowledge that what you've completed is because of a gift from God, yes, you can take pride in your work. You can, but but at the same time, because you're acknowledging that, oh yes, this this worked out great because of what God has given us. You know, how, how God has Indeed, the difference. The, the, the child does something good on a test or something like that. You can take you can take pride in your child doing that. Yes. Because you acknowledge that it was you know it, it was something beyond them that allowed that to happen. Very good. And it's it's, it's uh, kind of restrained by gratitude. Um, and if you notice, you know, I, you hear baseball players all the time. They hit a home run and, and they say, "Well, I just want to glorify God." You know, by hitting home runs. I mean, does that really glorify God? I think it would be better if they say, I'm just so grateful that I'm allowed to play at this level sure. with people like this. You know, and that's glorifying God. And it's and it's not being falsely humble about your abilities either. So. But but God's the judge of that as well. Yeah. yeah. So. But the Phoenicians, you know, with all the shipbuilding, that yes. leads to commerce. Yes. That leads to learning. Yeah. They had a lot to to be overly they in themselves. They invented the alphabet that we more or less that we use. Yeah, they were. Yeah, they, they were amazing. As far as Britain. Yeah. So, yes. Yes. I mean, they they had a lot going for them. Oh, they did. It was very very easy. To oh, they had a lot going. Absolutely. Self satisfaction. Yeah. Absolutely. I think there's a difference in being proud of something and being prideful in something. You know, when you think full of pride. pride yeah. Because there's a difference yeah. between being proud and going into the sin of pride 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can do something and you say, oh, well, oh, no, I can't do it. Well, you're just lying. I mean, you can't do it. <laughs> Go ahead, Jim. I was just thinking about the passage in Revelation that sort of lines up with this, I guess you could say. But one, one of the scriptures says, So then, because thou art lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich, and increase with goods, and I have need of that's pride. But then the Lord says, but you know not that you are wretched and miserable in that famous passage. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which is the layout of sin. Yeah, yeah. Church. Yeah. Talking about here. Well, there it is, yeah. But that's pride. Yes. You know, I don't need God. I've got all of this. Yeah. David, another good example in the scripture is uh, Bezalel, this guy that was uh, made all the temple work and stuff. And he was an uh, incredible artisan and craftsman and one place it says the spirit of the Lord had put into Bezalel this and he you know he had all this ability it's yeah. acknowledging that you know so uh, yeah you know, I mean watching I, I never watching any sort of award shows the film industry or something like that no. ever so often there'll be somebody that comes along and they're thankful to God because he's allowed them to do this he doesn't have to forget it's not parallel. any more or less and less yeah. So just the parallel from scripture is uh, money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money. It's elevating something out of its right place. There you go. And an interesting thing to read, I don't know if anybody else reads H.G. Wells, but talking about World of Worlds, where part of the book says um, the reason this great invading army was defeated because of basically, you know, viruses, the common cold. And the, the line that goes that God in his wisdom saw fit to put on the earth. To suffer, but what that God in His he, yeah. it's even said in the radio play where he says, Oh, they were felled by the smallest of things that God in His wisdom saw fit to put on the earth, which was a virus. Yeah, yeah. okay, all right, let's go to verse 17. We're bringing the pride of man low here, and the haughtiness of man shall be humbled, and the lofty pride of man shall be brought low, and the Lord alone will be exalted in that day, and the idols shall utterly pass away. Uh, again, in the day of the Lord, all these idols will pass away. Uh, but before that day, there's a certain moral law, I think, in operation. In other words, there are certain natural consequences that, that accompany our sin. I mean, we sin, yay, and then we suffer. Because consequences fall in. You know, on and on it goes. I mean, the soap opera just keeps on going, keeps on going, you know, generation after generation. All right. 19. And the people shall enter the caves of the rocks and the holes of the ground and before, from before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises to terrify the earth. Um, this sounds... Uh, we don't necessarily have to read it. I have a quotation here from Revelation about the coming of Christ and people are saying basically this for the mountains to fall on them and they try to hide holes of the earth and so forth. Verse 20. In that day mankind will cast away their idols of silver and their idols of gold, which they made for themselves to worship to the moles and to the bats, to enter the caverns of the rocks and the clefts of the cliffs and before the terror of the Lord and from the splendor of his majesty when he rises 
to terrify the earth. So on that day, in the coming of Christ, then, yeah, the our pride of man will be utterly abased. <laughs> Therefore, in verse 22, and we'll stop here, stop regarding man in whose nostrils is breath, for of what account is he? So why are we engaged in hero worship? Indeed. <laughs> there, there is a Christological uh, you can jump through here. Yeah, go ahead and jump it. <laughs> um, go into the clefts of the rocks and into the crags of the rugged rocks. Again, I, I'm, I do not intend to keep bringing this up, but the parallel between the chapters of Isaiah and the books of the Bible yes. is Exodus. God hides Moses in the cleft of the rock. Ah, beautiful. To protect him from himself. <laughs> beautiful. Exactly. I think a big reason for the hero worship, and Christians do this a lot too, because he saw it out at Union when uh, the Christian singer Michael English got in this little problem with his affair. And everyone was like crucifying the guy. And some people were like saying, How are y'all any different? He was never meant to be put on that pedestal that's only God's. He's a sinful person just like all of us. So before you start crucifying and say and start burning his records and whatnot, think about, you know, did you put him up on that pedestal in the first place? There you go. All right. Well, thanks for your attention. We'll stop here and we will continue in Isaiah next week.